Very grateful for this opportunity to be here in Charlottesville with the Blue Ridge Church and to be able to share God's word with all of you this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. I understand you've been going through the book of Ephesians and uh, it is really an honor to be here. Uh, I am just tremendously grateful for Drew and Jenny, uh, grateful for our friendship with them, our relationship with them, and I'm very proud of them and their uh, steadfastness in preaching the gospel and spreading the gospel here uh, in Charlottesville. And uh, as we look forward to, to um, closing the gap between uh, Potomac Valley, which goes all the way down to King George and Charlottesville, uh, we're really excited about our partnership. Uh, with all of you. We look forward to see uh, the gospel spread into Culpeper and Orange and so many other places as we seek to spread the gospel to Manassas and Noakesville and Gainesville and all sorts of places all over Virginia. Amen? Amen. And uh, super proud of TJ and Leela. They're getting ready to go to Fiji to preach the word of God. Which is awesome. That is a country of 800,000 people. And uh, they're going to get ready to go there. The church, they're so excited about them going. Alex and Gio, who've been there for the past eight years, are coming back to Virginia uh, to be encouraged and, and, and continue to be built up. They've done a phenomenal job in Fiji. And uh, they're just going to come back and, and do what missionaries do. They're going to get charged up. And I imagine they'll be back out at it again. Amen. Which is awesome. And uh, we pray that TJ and Lila will come back. Or that they'll keep on going forward. We'll see what God does with them as well. Uh, Super grateful for the Joneses. They're our dearest friends. We love them. They love us. And they help us in our marriage. Uh, They disciple us in our marriage. Uh, We're so grateful for them. And and, uh, as Drew had mentioned, we're very grateful for how God moved. Uh, Just a few short weeks ago, we're able to see uh, three elders appointed in Potomac Valley. Amen. Uh, so uh, that was uh, Tom Martin and Matt Esmacher, uh, along with their wives and, and Patrick Jones. And so super, super grateful for what God is doing. Amen. God has been very kind to all of us. And, uh, you know, I share all that because I think all of that's very applicable to what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about loving one another. And we really have a deeper understanding of God's intent with marriage and God's plan for all of our lives as we extend God's love into the world as we really love our neighbors. Amen? Amen. So let's go to God in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive in. Our God and Father, we do pray that you would lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know, God, that there's nothing good in us that's in our sinful nature, but there's everything great about you. And when you made us, you, you said that what you made was good. You, you, you put your impression, your image on each one of us. And you put your spirit, your life into each one of us, Father. We thank you so much for the grace that you've extended to those of us that have accepted your lordship in this world. The grace that allows us, God, to believe. Allows us, God, to be able to have the privilege to repent, to change the way we see things. God, you've allowed us to have access to you, God, by By washing us clean, God, in the waters of baptism. Granting us the forgiveness of all of the sins that we committed in the flesh, God. And allowing us to have the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. As we look at our neighbors, God, we see your image on them. And we long for them to have their sins forgiven. 
and for them to have your spirit within them as you intended. God, please open our eyes to understand the scriptures, to make the connections so that we can walk out of here and do your work. We pray these things with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our family, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to be here with you. Last week, God really allowed us to be set up in a great way because my much better half got to speak to all the women, which is awesome. And I had the fellowship I had longed to have, which is as I was coming, all the women I met, they were like, you're Tasha's husband. You're Tasha's husband. This happens to me at school. They're like, you're Makai's dad. You're your journey's dad. And I was like, yes, that's who I am. My name is Tasha's husband, Makai's dad, journey's dad. That, that, those are the greatest titles that I hold. And I'm very grateful for them because in truth, I've only made two good decisions my whole life. The first one I made was on... August 22nd, 1993, the Jacob Javis Center after service when I said, yes, Jesus is Lord. And I went home that night and I slept. I had the best sleep I'd ever had. And and it was just amazing. Best train ride ever. I I I was at peace with God and God's been gracious to me. And then on September 25th, 1999, Almost 18 years ago, this coming September, 18 years ago, I made another amazing decision when I said, I do, uh, to Tasha, which was great. And she's, she, she said that as well. One of us said, I do. All I know is I was there and I have a video. And it was awesome. Didn't have a video for the other one, but I had a video for this one. As Tasha was walking down the aisle, I got to tell you, if you ever want just to have a good laugh, you can watch our wedding video back from back in the 90s. The, the internet had just come out just a few years before. Amy's like, there was a time. What are you doing? So as Tasha's walking down the aisle, I had a mixture of emotions. One was just awe at how beautiful she, she was, and she is. The other was absolute terror. <laughs> My parents are super smart people. My dad is a college professor, went to Northwestern. My mom is a mathematician, went to the University of Chicago. Super smart people, amazing people. I respect them. They are some of the coolest, smartest, most sophisticated people you're gonna meet. Their marriage only lasted a few years. And so I was terrified, because I was like, I know the genes I come from, I know where I come from. I know that in and of myself, I can't do marriage. It's just the grace of God. And this beautiful woman is in for the ride of her life. <laughs> and so what I've set out in my mind to do from that time to this is to get great help in my marriage. And in those 18 years, 16 of those years, I've devoted myself to consistently getting with couples to get great help in our marriage. I took a two-year sabbatical from getting discipling. It was the worst decision I ever made in my life. Uh, it was two years between, uh, basically between 2004 and 2006, I, I decided, we decided we could do it on our own. It was really bad. And I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place, there are people here that can help you. You don't have to be really smart to help people in their marriage. You just need to be available and willing to listen and open the Bible. Amen. 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the fear of God that motivates us to submit to one another. And then the scripture goes on by saying, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. Now as churches, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And the guys are like, man, that's awesome. <laughs> the thing is, all the rest is for the husbands. <laughs> the wives got like three verses, two verses. Now, husbands, I want you to listen up. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one's ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So if you are single in here, you're not married, you're not engaged, you're not a week from being married, you're probably thinking, why did I come to church today? Thank God TJ did a great job with the communion. There's nothing for me to hear. That's actually not true. See, from the beginning, God had an intent with marriage, and it's not about our self-gratification. It's about reflection. That was God's intent. It's reflection. You see, marriage is designed to be a reflection between the relationship between Christ and the church. And so every believer needs to understand the, the sanctity, the glory, the honor of marriage. And one of the things that the evil one has done from the beginning, the first thing that happened in the garden was to divide the couple. And to try to break down their relationship. And to pitch them against each other. And to tell them that they both need to try to be God. Instead of recognizing who God is and who they are. And working together as one. Wow. All of humanity has been built around this truth. Because there, there are no humans without man and a woman being together. And I won't say anymore in case it's rated G. If you haven't had the birds and bees talk, you don't get people without... Two people. Just what's that? See me after church. If no one told you, you're 53 years old and you're like, what is he talking about? I'm sorry mama didn't tell you. I'm sorry they, they, you've been watching the movie Storks and you thought it was a true story. That's not true. You don't have people without that. And at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, let's take a dial back. Genesis chapter 1. This is the beginning. The creation song. All the Israelites learned this song. And they sang this. And you'll notice there's a, there's a cadence to this song. It was evening. It was morning. It was evening. It was morning. Things go in God's arrangement of the world from nothing to something. 
it goes from darkness to light. For us, it goes from light to dark. We, we don't say it was evening, it was morning. We say it's morning and then it's evening, but not with God. And so when God created us, God says in verse 26 of Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Women are created in the image of God. Men are created in the image of God. Men are not greater than women. Women are not greater than men. The world is incredibly confused about this. We're actually supposed to function together. And in that oneness, you see God. It's an amazing thing that God is doing. Your marriage is a reflection. There's nothing more powerful than a married couple that love each other. Let me just tell you, researchers, like the amazing researchers that are the the University of Virginia, researchers have done an amazing amount of research on human relationships. One of the things that they found was that kids would prefer, overwhelmingly prefer, for their parents to love each other rather than to love them. It actually means more to a kid's emotional development that mom and dad love each other. You need to communicate to your kids, you're number two. You can ask my kids, they'll tell you. They know, mom and dad, they love each other. And we're number two. And my my daughter, she's always working through this. You know, girls, they work through this. She's like, who is the most beautiful? You're beautiful in your own right, but mom's number one. Mom always has to be number one. That's the most important thing because what happens is that for a child and for all of us, but for a child to know that there's a future, that someone will love me with all of my faults unconditionally, that is more meaningful than mommy and daddy are going to give me lots of treats. That's one of the mistakes that happen for those of us that have been touched by divorce. Is you see, man, yeah, I get two sets of Christmas gifts, but I'd be much happier with no Christmas gifts and just mom and dad together. So our marriages are critical, and that's why Satan goes after them. And Satan's gone after them in a lot of ways. But how we reflect that is in how we love other people. So I want to talk to you for a moment about loving your neighbor. I want to invite you to turn over with me to the book of Luke. And I want you to look at a story that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan. And I want to share with you some experiences that God has allowed myself and myself and Tasha to have. Just to to really see the reflection of God in Good Samaritans. Amen? Amen. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and he said, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus then tells him a story. He tells him a story about a man that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Down a road that we've heard this story many times. It's a dangerous road. 
This man is beaten and he's left on the road, stripped naked and half dead. A priest sees him and goes on one side and avoids the man. A Levite goes on the other. But the most unlikely person, a Samaritan, comes along. He sees the man. He takes pity on him. He puts himself in danger by putting the the man on his animal so he has no way to escape. He completely commits himself to this, takes him with him to an inn, has the man cared for. He cares for the man first off on the road, bandaging his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, so it costs him to do it. He puts him on his donkey, brings him to the inn, and then has him cared for and commits to care for and reimburse any extra expense. He goes above and beyond, this good Samaritan does. And at the end of explaining that, Jesus asked the question in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. For those of you that are married, let me just say this. Your first neighbor is your spouse. You've got to care for the needs of your spouse. It's going to take sacrifice. Look, you know, when you first get married, when you first fall in love, you meet each other. The first two years is called the infatuation stage. And during the infatuation stage, just so you know, there's actually chemicals in your brain that cause you to see everything good about this person. Literally, God drugs you. To just say like, I see everything perfect. I like, I like the way you drink your soda. <laughs> when you soap it, if you just get more soda that way. It's so much better. I, I, when you eat and you're talking and there's food flying out, you, 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 you really commit to the food. I like the way you chew. You chew so good. And you see that and you're like, it's amazing. It's amazing. I know you don't smell so good, but you have a special scent. <laughs> you know, all of those things when you're in the infatuation stage. And honestly, if, if at that point, the person does anything wrong, you, you defend them. Like, I, I know they're struggling, but... <laughs> now, if you work on your marriage then you can go on to have a strong love connection with each other. And, but if you don't work on your marriage, you very easily slip into mutual affection. And if at that point you have children, you can spend the next 18 years in mutual affection because you got to get kids to soccer. You got to get kids to ballet. You got, you know, they have colds that, you know, kids have lots of colds, ear infections. You can get caught up. You got to save money for college. You got to go to work. There's a million things you can do. But if you don't work on your marriage right there, you don't take care of your neighbor. You don't bandage up the wounds. You could walk by them for 18 years. And then when the kids leave, and it's just the two of you, you start to realize that we're not as close as we need to be. Most marriages in America end after the kids leave. A lot of infidelity happens after the kids leave or in between when the kids come. A lot of pain. And so we've got to love the neighbor that we live with. 
first and foremost. But we've got to extend that love to all of our neighbors as well. And that's why I love this story. And I want to share a little bit more with you. We need to ask ourselves, who is my neighbor? Really, who's my neighbor? Clearly, if you have a spouse or if you have a roommate, that's your neighbor. If you're in, you know, for those of you that are in college, it's okay to flush the toilet. Totally good. It's okay not to eat everybody's Cheetos. You know, like, it's okay not to finish all the ramen noodles. Like, love your neighbor. Be kind to your neighbor. It's totally fine to clean your room. No one's going to hold that against you. No one's going to mess with you about that. It's okay. It's, it's really okay to do that. It's okay to bring food. You, you too can pay your bills on time. Like that, all those things are really, those things are good. But we also have a lot of neighbors that we're talking about that we want to reach out to that are in the community. And one of the things I've learned as we talk about this reflection of marriage and our neighbor is the power that couples have to make a huge impact. And I just want to share with you about a couple couples. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So this story, Jesus tells this story because we can apply it in a lot of different settings. And in telling us this story, you know, um, Martin Luther King references this story and he, he makes this point. He says, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reverses the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? So let me ask you a question. If we don't share God's love with our neighbors, our physical neighbors, the person next door, do you know their name? What will happen to them? Now they may be going to a church that teaches nominal Christianity, but will they really get help? Will they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of their sins? And let me tell you, that's no small business. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I could not possibly stand up here or be married because I'm definitely not as smart as my parents. And my marriage would not have survived without the Holy Spirit and without the forgiveness of my sins and without people like the Joneses and the Esmockers and the Martins and so many others that have really helped us with our marriage. But we need to ask ourselves, what's the cost? What's the opportunity cost of not loving our neighbor? When I was nine years old, now, just as a point of information, my dad, when he was in, in college, he converted to Islam. He grew up Christian, and he converted to Islam when he was in college. So I grew up Muslim. I grew up Sunni Muslim. And my dad took a job as a college professor at a university in, in the Middle East. And um, while my dad was there, he passed away from prostate cancer when I was nine years old. And the folks from my dad's school, they emptied my dad's bank account and put all of our earthly belongings that we had in our flat, in our apartment, and about $11,000 in US cash in a suitcase, and I was there in a foreign country at nine years old with $11,000. Now just let me, just to be clear, you put a nine-year-old with $11,000 all by himself. My parents had separated. My mom did not know where I was because of the, the damage of my parents' separation, and I was stuck. I could easily have become a child slave. I mean, it's very, very easy for that to happen. I could easily have been sold to do a million different things. But you know what? My neighbors right next door, another college professor, uh, decided, and they're both two Muslim guys. One is a college professor, one is a graduate student. They decided to fly with me 24 hours 
and brought me with all of the money that we had and all of my belongings to my family in Jamaica through Miami. But not just that. This college professor, Tariq Ward, he, he was British, and his parents, for the next three years, served as my guardians while I went to boarding school. Now, this was a couple that they didn't go to church, but it was in their house that I first read the Chronicles of Narnia. It was in their house that I first opened the Bible. It was in their house that I got comfort in the hardest, most difficult time in my life as a nine-year-old kid. And it gave me the first image of seeing a married couple working together. This guy was a veteran from World War II, and he kept telling me over and over again, you, you Yanks came late to the war. You came late to the war. You came late to, I keep hearing it like, you came late to the war. And I, it kept being reminded, you're a Yankee and you're late. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Other than that, <laughs> you know, Fred, were, Fred, Fred and Gwen were really good, but the Yank stuff, you just kept on hitting it. He was no joke. He didn't talk a lot. Fred didn't talk a lot. His, his, his wife, Gwen, was very kind and comforting. But I saw a married couple working together. It would be nine years from that point until I would see another married couple working together. And it was Rick and Radhika Torres. Rick is Latino. Radhika is Caribbean. She's Indo-Caribbean. And I walked into their Bible talk in the Bronx and studied the Bible. And I saw the love of these two disciples leading about a married Bible talk. I was 17 years old when I first met them. And just to see their love and to see their kindness and their hospitality was the most winning thing I'd ever seen. They didn't have a lot of visitors to their Bible talk. I was one of the few visitors that they had, but they loved me like there was no tomorrow. And I wasn't gonna be a part of their married ministry. They stayed the Bible with me, And then they introduced me to another married couple, Frank and Michelle Davis. And I I can remember two things from then about Frank Davis. Frank Davis leads our church in Birmingham, Alabama right now and trained us in the ministry. And I'll never forget, Frank did the sin study with me and helped me to see that I was lost. And Michelle made a plate of food for me and helped me to feel welcomed. I can't, I'll never forget that. And that was the first image Frank and Michelle's image that I can remember saying I I could be married. But I I needed the healing that Fred and Gwen gave me. I I needed the hospitality that Rick and Radhika gave me. I needed the truth and the hospitality that Frank and Michelle gave me. Let me just say, in a college town, you might think as a married couple, you're not that significant. Because it's all about, all right, we got to get interns for the campus ministry because we're cranking. But let me tell you, can we have real talk? We do need to do that. But you know, these young people, they need to come into your home. They need the kindness of your home. And you got to get help with your marriage because if you're fighting all the time, don't think they won't walk in and feel the tension. You got to work your stuff out. Get some help. And then cook them a meal and bring them in. Because there's nothing more powerful than seeing a married couple together. Love changes everything that's the power of our marriages you need to serve everyone I do want to say this as a point of information our country right now is embroiled in an incredible question of how do we relate to our neighbors the the question is okay so our neighbors to the south in Mexico bad hombres 
There are a lot of good hombres, like Rick Torres. Our neighbors to the north, Canada. Hey. <laughs> so, you got all these young people talking about we should run away to the north. No, we're right here. Don't run away. Stay where you are and let's fight the fight. Our neighbors to the west, there's all sorts of issues in Western Europe. Our neighbors to the east, man, we're, we're terrified of extremists from the east. How do you navigate all of that? There's so much noise and so much fear and so much concern. But let me just say this. Do you know how you do it? By being a Christian. Eight years ago, for the first time, I went on Hope Youth Corps, just like a lot of these young people getting ready to go. I went to Indonesia. And when I was there, I served at a fishing village in Chilinching. In Chilinching, the kids are covered in flies. I mean, it's very, very poor, all Muslim fishing village. And when we went there, we went there, we taught the kids English. While we were there, there was a guy who I won't mention his name, just like Drew told me, don't say stuff you don't want to put out there for the whole world to know. But there was a guy who will be unnamed who was there and he was hired by the local Muslim elders to spy on the Hope program and to spy on us. And he spied on us for seven and a half years. And he watched the Christians every week come. Like we came for one week, but those Christians in, in Jakarta, they came every week. And they taught the kids English. And they served everyone. And they were watching to see, are they here to proselytize? Are they here to, to convert our people? Or do they really care? And after seven and a half years of seeing how much we cared, this one gentleman made a decision. He would not only give up spying on us. And he was trained in bomb making. I just want to let you know, this is what is happening in the world. And this is what the Christians are doing. He was trained in bomb making. He was hired to spy on the program. But he saw the love over seven and a half years. And after seven and a half years, he decided to stay the Bible and he got baptized. Which is amazing. Now this isn't a story someone told me with tears in my eyes and tears in his eyes. I got to talk with him just a few months ago and he told me will when you go back to, through a translator he said when you go back to america you tell the christians to preach the word because it's serving everyone when you see the girl on campus with a hijab serve her open the door for her love her you, you see people that are connected with the lgbtq community don't don't be afraid of them engage them love them you see people that you say, well, I feel like your political view is radically different than mine. You serve them. You engage them. Our love wins every time. But you've got to be willing to stay in there. And like the Good Samaritan, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some oil. It's going to cost you some wine. Some of you all are really excited. It'll cost you the wine. You're like, I'll share a glass of wine with you. Amen. Don't, not too much wine, though. <laughs> Just a point of information. Grew up in the Caribbean. As, as we're here together, I can tell you this. Our marriages, it matters. And I am so grateful that Ryan and Carla Grubb are moving here to be a part of the church. They're so excited about doing good enough parenting. And I want to encourage you, sign up for good enough parenting. Get great help. And and, and, and sit down and work on your marriage. But I want to encourage all of you who are single, don't be deceived in thinking that what the scriptures are talking about is not connected with you. You wouldn't be here without two people coming together. 
And my prayer is that those two people can be married. And my prayer is that our marriages as Christians will reflect the power and the glory of God. I want to invite you to look at one more scripture as we close. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, ma'am. Absolutely. I think as Christians, sometimes we, for, for, we forget what God said from the beginning, that he made us and he put his impression on each one of us. And that's why everywhere I go, I try to see Jesus. See Jesus in the face of those that are without homes. See Jesus in the face of people that believe differently than I believe. And I know that it is because of the love of God that someone like me who had no hope at having a strong marriage could have a marriage that works. We're still working on a strong marriage. We just got to work on it every day. I just happen to be married to a strong woman. She's awesome. I'm super grateful for how amazing she is. She stayed with me for 18 years. That is no easy task to do. Please encourage her. I'm grateful that I can have a family when there was a good chance that I wouldn't even have a life. I'm humbled to be able to share God's word with you. I'm humbled because I know who you are, even if you don't know who you are. I know that anybody whose sins have been washed away, who have the indwelling of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit of God, is set on a track to change the world. And you don't have to change the world in some big, grandiose way. You change the world in the actions that you take every day, recognizing that when God made you, he made something good. Don't worry. Say, I'm I'm not tall. You don't have to be tall. God didn't want you to be tall. I'm too tall. You don't have to be short. God didn't want you to be short. Say, man, I'm black. God wanted you to be black. Don't bleach your skin. Enjoy being black. You're white. God wanted you to be white. Enjoy. Get a tan if you want to, but hey, don't go too crazy with it. God wanted you to be Latino. God likes your hair color. God likes your eyes. God likes everything about you. God doesn't just love you. God likes you. He's fond of you. You don't have to change who you are. You need to be who God's called you to be. And you need to walk in step with what the scriptures teach. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen. See, we are from the wor- they are from the world and therefore speak from the ver- viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Don't worry about it. This is how you recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. That the spirit of God is within you and is within me. And if the things that you've heard today are truth, then I pray that you will listen to them. In your marriage, do the work to reflect Christ in all that you do. In your singlehood, do the work to draw close to God so that your life will be a reflection. In all that we do, let's love one another. In all that we do, let's love our neighbors. And as Jesus ended that parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to encourage you, when you go out of these doors, after we sing one last song, go out of these doors, go and do likewise. 
Love everyone. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for the Charlottesville group here, God, the Blue Ridge Church. I thank you, God, so much for Drew and Jenny and for their courageous leadership. I thank you, God, for the commitment of the brothers and sisters here, God. I thank you for Stephen and Amy and their their passion for the campus ministry. And God, I thank you for all these amazing students and the the vibrant life that they bring to this community, God. And and the hope and the dreams and the aspirations that they have. The graduate students, the undergraduate students, the the faculty, all the staff. God, I pray you, you open doors like never before for people to hear the gospel. I pray for all of us that, that live in these communities, God, that you can give us great courage, God, not to feel like we're not the ones of great significance, but to recognize that together we make up your body. Together we can change this part of the world. Together we can reflect you everywhere. And God, I pray that we do just that. I pray, God, that you can give this church courage like never before. God, provide great funding for for more students to be hired, to be able to to serve and engage on the campuses. But God, I pray for us as married couples that we can love our neighbors and we can show them how to have a great marriage, even as we work out having a great marriage ourselves. We know there's nothing good in us, in our sinful nature, but we know that all things are good about us because of what you've made and because of your spirit that you've put within us. So recognizing that dignity, that imprint of you in everyone. We hold everyone in the highest regard. And recognizing your grace in offering us cleansing and being able to be filled, we are blown away by what you're doing. Help us to love one another like we've never loved before. and Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Open the door this week, today, for many people to see you reflected by what we do, as well as what we say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.